Hey up people, welcome back to the Earthsea Love Podcast and I'm so excited to be talking with a fellow Yorkshire lass today. Bring it! Hello and welcome, welcome to the Earth Sea Love Podcast. This podcast is for and about women of colour and our relationship with nature. Hosted by me, Cherie Mack. The Earth Sea Love Podcast is committed to exploring the experiences of women of colour with Mother Nature. We want to provide spaces where the hidden voices in the environmental and conservation conversations can explore their relationship with the natural world. Inspired by our time spent outdoors, we amplify the voices of women of colour, our stories our conversations, interviews, photography, writing and artwork. We'll be exploring our legacies, histories and memories which have had an influence and effect upon how we perceive ourselves within the natural world and within the environmental and climate justice movements. Welcome to the Earth Sea Love Podcast. The Earth Sea Love Podcast has been made possible by the funding from National Lottery Heritage Fund. Good morning, and it's Cherie Mack here, your host, and I hope you're keeping well. I've just come back from the school run, and it's Thursday, and this episode is going out on Friday, the, oh, I don't know, is it the, is it the 19th of November? Oh my gosh, this month is going so fast. And as it's Thursday, I've been in the sea twice this week. I was going to get in today, but there's so much of a wind chill factor. And and I just knew that when I got out, um, the wind would hurt my teeth because I've been getting out and grinning, you know, like, oh my God, you just did that, Shree, it's a bit of gold. And I've been grinning. And if there's a wind, it actually hurts my teeth. Do you have that? effect as well with your teeth anyhow so i came straight back home got cozy and i thought let me get this recorded as the intro for our next episode which is again one of those specially commissioned episodes in conjunction with northumberland national parks future landscapes festival and as i say oh my gosh this is the second to last one of the series and it's just been going so fast call me biased (laughs) call me having invested interest but i've been so excited and i've been so enjoying these conversations when that happened and then listening them back and editing and then releasing them and it gives me so much joy to share them so thank you for being here I'm returning to the Earthsea Love podcast and listening to these vital and wonderful conversations. And as I've mentioned, I've got in a wonderful woman, Dalbinda Kular from Sheffield. Um, She goes by Dal, well, I call her Dal, and I just feel like Dal has been in my life forever. She is such an amazing woman and it's... uh, you can probably tell when you listen to this 
this episode. I am all over the place. I'm telling you, I'm just so excited. And I keep throwing all these different <laughs> different things at Dal. Like three-point questions, quotes, and it's a case of like, she brung it. She she responded in kind and awesome and it's such a wonderful conversation. So Dal is known for um using writing for therapeutic means um she explores identity belonging nature trauma grief masters in science i think it's in science and and it was reading dal's dissertation which is called wild ink and it's about using zines therapeutic way creating them sharing them and how you can actually express and explore those hidden depths within us where where there is that grief and that trauma and there's that that messiness but to produce a zine out of that is transformational definitely um so we talk about um dal's process in creating this scene and we also um talk about getting out there in nature and how dal works really really hard with women of color to marry that connection between our bodies and the landscape out there and does it in creative ways as well and she gives a lot back to the community so yeah so this is an episode um which i hope you will enjoy because i definitely enjoy creating it and um yeah there's so much joy within it even though we touch upon difficult you know issues and subjects i mean when don't we when don't we when we're you know bringing out the earth sea love podcast but i think what we what we illustrate is that yeah 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 we've got we've had we still do suffer but we're on this healing journey and what we're doing is sharing our stories on this journey to inspire others um to change the narrative but also you know to just uplift us and say hey here we're here we're doing this and we are amazing we are amazing so sit back or not walk out do other things but make sure you're listening to this episode of the earthsea love podcast thanks for being here bye for now Social media has been a lifeline and has been really, really good for me in building myself back up from a really dire, dire traumatic situation. But it is, it's a case of like, sometimes I don't like myself when I'm on there, you know, I want to have, I want to have that energy and channel it into something that's good and wholesome. We're talking about celebrating me and my travels, but I was, I just want to say, I was so excited about talking to you today. And, and I was thinking, why is that the case? And I know why. It's because when we've interacted in the past, you have been the facilitator holding space for me and my writing and other people's writing. And I thought, today I get to hold space for you, for you to shine to shine in all your awesomeness so like I was just like so excited for that because you know it's like it's a case of like we hear from Dal today you know what I mean it's like you can bring your whole self to the table if you want to if you want to by the way I feel like taking all my clothes off and just like performing <laughs> naked that would bring the whole self yeah you know it's really I find it really um well, well, let's see what happens. I find it really weird when the spotlight's on me. I, mean, I know in facilitating, I'm facilitating, yeah. but I don't kind of see like I'm in the spotlight. Yeah. But just, uh, yeah, it's, it's this, this is kind of an interesting experience for me. I get you. <laughs> no, I totally get you because you're actually, when you're facilitating, you're in a role. 
and you know what your role is and you've got your plan but when you have to show up as yourself whatever that may be that is that is scary but also I think it's for me I think it's exciting because I do feel like in these conversations when we do show up by ourselves we actually learn something about ourselves you know and I think that's a beautiful process myself myself (laughs) talking about shining I usually start off right saying where you're coming from where you're calling in from and if you can see any nature outside your window now I can see the sun coming in it's lovely light it is it's not a disco ball it is actually the sun (laughs) yes I'm in Sheffield um South Yorkshire and when I look out of my window so I live in the um in a city, um, in a a terrace house, sort of very, in a very built up area. Mm -hmm. And so when I look out of my window, the first thing I see now is the sunlight um, coming through the window. So it's a a beautiful, bright and gorgeous, crisp day Mm -hmm. today. And um, yeah, I am being illuminated by this sunlight, this, this dazzle. Yeah, (laughs) I love it. It's, it's, as you know, I love this time of year, autumn. I so enjoyed um, your workshop that you you were doing around autumn and you played September, Earth, Wind and Fire, our true nature. And I think because you've just been on my radar and I would and I feel really bad about that, that you haven't been in my life before now. But like only in the last few months, I would say maybe like from the summer July until now and that's a short period but it feels like you've been in my life for a long long time as if you've been a permanent fixture and that's a good thing right I've been following you around dressed as a Highland cow (laughs) (laughs) oh well I do think those Highland cows are so cute so that I probably would have turned around and says hello you beauty hello (laughs) but yeah so it was through I'm looking on Eventbrite that's what I was doing a lot lockdown and coming out what can I do virtually what can I do to feed my creative pot what are my interests and it was nature identity belonging grief and trauma and I saw that we had these our true nature workshops and it was by um Dal Dalbinda Kula and I thought who, who, who is this woman so I went to your website and it's like oh oh I felt I felt that I'd come home I really, I really did, honestly. And, you know, I, I subscribed to your field notes and you, it's opened up your library and I've, I've read Wild Ink. Now, Wild Ink, for those who are listening, either is the dissertation from your uh, Masters of Science, isn't it? In creative writing of, um, for therapeutic purposes. And yeah. Wild Ink, and it was just like, it just spoke to me. It just really spoke to me. So, like, let's just... Um, discovering the language of the what is that the that's the zine again because that's another thing I'm into zines it's like oh my gosh I'm all over the place right come back come back come back I sometimes say what do you do because you've got loads of titles you've got loads of fingers in different pots but I like to think about it is what do you be what do you be when you are you know when you are doing these different things like you your core what is it that you as you define yourself or put yourself out into the world that is such a huge question I don't think anybody's asked it me like that before and what do I be well I suppose the first I'd be an imagineer Mm -hmm. so I work a lot with my um from my imagination what do I be I'd be a seer, I'd be a delver into what's in my bones. I think that's what a lot of my dissertation was about, that kind of, I was having a knocking in my bones, which I believe to be an ancestor. So I was kind of transcribing from from them, I think. So I think I'd be a transcriber. Um, I feel, um, I do feel when I'm in the flow of writing, I'm channeling. When I was writing Wild Ink and then the work that I've, the writing that I've been doing this year, I was definitely feeling somebody saying, you've got to write this. You've got to write it. And it was, you know, um, somebody who's who's been mentoring me said, you can say to the ancestors, slow down, be quiet. <laughs> but th- this ancestor, I mean, I have no rational cognitive kind. I don't know who they are. It's just a feeling in a sense. Um, as soon as I started writing the stuff around my mom, they have 
it's kind of like yeah you're doing the work now i'll 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 stop um haunting you <laughs> as loudly so i'm a transcriber i i kind of, i see myself as transcribing a bit of that work i be a rememberer a scribe really for the stories that i'm working on at the moment um in terms of my mum who passed away in march i'd be a wanderer a nature loafer <laughs> It takes me about five times longer than anybody else to walk anywhere because I'm just stopping, staring, feeling a leaf, getting my binoculars out. Yeah, um, I'd be a writer. I'd be a poet. It's a long list of IBs. That's a great way of looking at it. But I think I'd be at home in myself because for a long time I was I was other things. I wasn't these things. Um, well, I was these things, but they were very, very buried and very, very hidden. So my past life, I was a social worker for over 20 years. That's so rich and beautiful. And um, I have this thing about labels, you know, especially when other people are quite quick and easy to put them upon us. And that's why I think it's really, really important that we define ourselves or, but not to put us into boxes. I think that's a way of actually expanding ourselves and like all those things that you just said, a a transcriber, rememberer, and like that knocking in your bones of you needed to write this stuff that you have been writing, the dissertation, and now your stuff about your mum. I am sorry, you know, that she did pass this year. I am sorry about that because I am a person who has lost her own mother and it is such a a ripping of your being basically and so many emotions that come out of that wound and and again that's something that you explore with grief and it's something that grief is with us constantly and it's not something that we're we try to get through I think it's a case of like it's about trying to live with it keep on living with it keep going moving forward but knowing that this is that is going to be there and not denying it and not you know because people do say about grief is like get over it man you know like come on move on chin up you know what's done is done she had a good innings that's not shit you know what I mean it's any difference how long somebody's lived it's still they've gone yeah in that full sense yeah 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 so that this Keeping on your wild ink, because it says about in there, it's, a, it's you're studying how writing can be used in therapy to heal and how the writing, but then also you have zine making. <laughs> now, this appeals to me. I mean, I love zines because, you know, it's, it's about those marginalized voices that are actually putting out what they want to say. But what's also good for me is that mixed media and collage collage that mixing with the word and the image can you just talk about that process maybe that you went to because you went through this dissertation in July well you submitted it in July 2020 so it was actually through lockdown that you were doing all the excavation and also listening to that that person saying you've got to be writing this stuff you know so let's talk about that process because it must have been difficult but also revelationary yeah, it was revelationary and it was very difficult. The actual writing of the dissertation happened through lockdown. I was writing about um, tra- teenage, racialized teenage trauma and impact on creativity and through um, the George Floyd uh, Black Lives Black Matters uprising. So that was very, very close. And also one of my closest friends was, um, we didn't know how close she was to, to dying at that point. So it was a really difficult process. It was like a real pressure cooker of six weeks of actually writing up the dissertation. The zine, I decided, well, I was going to, I woke up one day and decided I'm going to make a zine as my research method. And that's it. I just woke up and I knew. Then all of a sudden it was Bradford Zine Fair. This is back in 2019 and, mm-hmm. and Sheffield Zine Fair. And I went along and I thought, this is absolutely what I'm going to do. This is the democratization of writing. Um, this is raw truth. This is real stories, relatable. I just loved it. And at that, initially, I thought I was going to be doing like a prose only zine. But now, when I realized I was going to talk about creativity, identity, and wildness, um, I mean, I thought I was being really niche and narrow. But then you think about those three massive areas, I realized that I, 
there was parts, aspects of my story that I just couldn't tell in prose only. I didn't have language. I didn't have words. I didn't know how to access, access the words, the language, the memories. They were so buried. I didn't even know, you know, what I would access. So I think I saw, I saw a performance by a poet called, oh, got Louise Wallwine. I can't remember her, how to say her second name. And she'd written, um, I might have even got her name wrong, but she'd written a book called Glue, which was a poetry um, book. And she'd mixed in reports and historical documents. Um, and as soon as I saw that, I thought, ah, okay, I'm going to put in my school reports and um, I'm going to mash up documents. And I loved collage as well. I've not done loads of it. And I thought I'm going to do a mixed media zine. This is how I can tell my story. And uh, the first part of the zine was written, I was, I was going off to Gran Canaria for, for the summer, my last holiday abroad, actually, for the winter Christmas holiday. And for three nights, I just sat in front of my iPad and I just did free flow writing. And I think I generated about 4000 words. And it was just I just allowed anything to tumble out. But thinking about the subject of my zine. And it, that was just a real eye-opening process. What came out there was just really surprised and shocked me. And then I went home to Sheffield. So I'd set myself the, um, for my research method, giving myself seven days to create this. Um, and I split those seven days. And when I came home to Sheffield, I spent four days just creating and, and, and putting the zine together. So physically mocking it up. I'm very, very analog. Um, so I was cutting, pasting, creating the um, creating the pages and assembling it. And I went really intuitively with the process. Just went really intuitively with the process in terms of when I read through what I'd written, there was very little editing of the original words. There was some, but very little. I just cut out the bits that um, resonated. And started to put that the words in an order and then started to um, match the images that I wanted to go with the words that kind of deepened the meaning. But I also wanted to encode, wanted to encode meaning because I knew that this was going to be a public document. Uh, but this was a document that was, you know, I was primarily using for myself as exploration and as an active healing. Um, so some of it, I, I just it was meaning for me. Um, so even now people won't know, you know, some people won't know what it means exactly. Um, yeah, so that's how it was created. And I used, I used folds as well and tear rips and tears. They all became meaningful. Every part of the process had some kind of meaning, some kind of, you know, deeper layers. And then, and I kept a process journal alongside creating it. Um, cause obviously I was researching my own process and then I put it on the mantelpiece. I wrapped it up ceremonially, put it on the mantelpiece next to pictures of ancestors and left it there for three weeks and got on with life and forgot about it. That was part of the, the process. And then I went back to it and opened it up and I was like, oh my God, what have I created here? I, I described it in the dissertation as a masala makes firework that just went boom in my life because it just unlaid uncovered so many things that I oh, I kind of knew were there but I'd not I'd not seen them on paper I'd not seen them visually or in writing mm. I'd like I kind of that transcribing again taking something from out of the mind or out of the experience or out of the ethers and, and putting it you know into something visible mm. um was was enormous and still is I'm still gathering and working with the sparks from that my my brain's sparking now because you've been talking about the process of creating it and then you've got the process of watching yourself in that process with your process journal and then you've got the process of coming back to it after it was on the mantelpiece and what it gleans and brings up there and for me like I'm you know I've been in writer in residence at Northumberland National Park and I've been working with that idea of layers parlemis or whatever the idea of layers um and layers that are laid down in the landscape but the layers that are laid down in us but then also those layers of meaning that can be gleaned through those different steps in the process and yeah. I think and what also when you said about those tears and those folds throw up for me the idea of fragments 
and how you are doing that cutting and the, the these are just fragments of the whole and the thing is we'll never know the whole whole you know yeah. what I mean exactly. and I think that is so so rich and it's almost like this well or pool that we can keep diving into and pulling out another fragment and laying it down and like looking at it from all angles and gaining yeah. meaning from it it's such oh my gosh create the creative process is such a magical magical thing and to actually get those moments when we can have like hold it up to the light and turn it round a little bit and learn a little bit more about it. I just think is, you know, just a gift, a gift. It's a gift. It's invaluable. It is absolutely invaluable. And I think that I, I, I agree with everything you've said. And um, I think if you've got a complex, we've got complex histories, com, you know, complicated by migration, complicated by, I'm Punjabi Sikh heritage, complicated by colonialism mm-hmm. and um, patriarchy. And how can I tell my multi-layered complex story just through words? I just didn't feel, at that point, I didn't feel I could. I needed more languages. I needed more range mm-hmm. in, to enable me to do that. Um, and I and it's so accessible that's the other thing it's so accessible when we work when we think about writing and language in a a much wider context than just words than just English literature or whatever yeah in this this country yeah and it's fixed oh it's fixed up so we do we're we're educated or socialized into thinking of just thinking about the words and the language and the power of it but that's actually just a a confine and a construct to to control us once we know that there's more to it then we expand it's empowering for us and of course we don't want we we're not supposed to be empowered you know thinking independent people critical questioning people no no not at all you mentioned about your history a number again I'm layering things here right okay muddy muddy your van right my brown van Sheree your brown van I know I'm loving brown I embrace the brown yes (laughs) but you were on your travels just recently to a residency to an island but what you also was doing when you came back in your field notes were about maps, how you actually mapped yourself while you were there or why you were on this. Because I know, right, and it's so sport to me, when I go off for solitude, I get there, you know, there's all this planning, all this excitement. Yeah, you know, you rearrange stuff to do it. And I get there and I think, what the fuck am I doing? You know, I question myself and I doubt myself and I think, what the hell's happening here? And I forget myself or forget why I'm doing this. And I'm just flounder. And I think, well, I should be doing stuff. I've got this time, but I'm wasting it. What the hell? And you created that map for you to be there in a sense, to 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 situate yourself there and be there. And why I'm talking about this is because when I also think about our heritage or yours in particular which is with the partitioning of Britain's India yes Britain's India in 1947 um what we've got there are like this whole host of maps and it's almost as if like when they were thinking of the partition it was well they weren't really thinking about the people on the ground and then and what their lives were so what I'm trying to get to is like I've got this really good quote from um Leah um Penniman, you know, the author, activist, um, farming for black people, that one. And I'm gonna say the quote because I think it really feeds into what you're doing when you're going back to nature or back to the land. Yeah. So the quote is many of our people have confused the oppression that took place on land with the land itself. There's a lot of ancestral, almost cellular trauma that's associated with land. Now, of course, she's talking about the African-American context in that. But I think it also applies to us as British and you're British Punjabi. You know, I'm British Afro-Caribbean. You know, there's that relationship with the land that has we've got the trauma and 
and it has been in the way of having that connection to the land. So I want us to talk about your connection with the land and how you situate with yourself with the land, with maps, with creativity, with your ancestral heritage. That was a long-winded stuff, but you know what I'm saying? It's such a rich thing, you know? It's like, I think I'm going to have to take notes about what you said. So what did you say? Ancestral. Mm, right, well, first of all, let's talk about your maps and being and that, that residency. And is it only me that questions myself when I do these things? Like... No, no, not at all. And I think as creatives and as, and as writers, when we go off to, you know, in our vans or vehicles or on public transport to somewhere to go, you know, go away and write and we get there, <laughs> you know, I'm often like, oh, all right, okay, what do I do now? And, you know, and often I just want to go for an ice cream and go doing lots of walking and then I start to feel guilty because I've not written anything. <laughs> <laughs> so I've, I've kind of um, got a lot better of taking the pressure off me and just, you know, allowing, you know, whatever to emerge. And with this writing residency, remit was to be and see what emerged. It was so hard just to be when I, I didn't even know if I'd get there because I, I was very low in um, in July um, after my mum passing and everything. And um, but I did get there. And I took, um, I made myself like a, an A4 journal and I don't know why I did A4. And I thought, right, I'm going to fill this entire journal. Um, well, so I'm in on Bardsey, Ennis, Ennis en, Enley. It's a little island off um, North Wales. Um, it's the island of 20,000 saints. So it's been a very special place for many, many um, centuries, uh, probably thousands of years where people used to get go over or by boat to, and they wanted to die there. Mm. So that's a place went to die that's why it's called the island of Twenty Thousand saints so I start I realized that a really good way to work with a big journal was to write really big letters yeah. <laughs> really quickly <laughs> my letters just got bigger as well like word on the page anyway so when I was there for the first two days I was like really restless and and tired and it's this tiny little island in the off the sea um, I, I can't remember how small it is, maybe one mile by a couple of miles with a lighthouse and loads of seals. After a, after a day or two, I just suddenly decided, you know, I'm going to make a map. I just really want to make a map. And I had no idea what it would turn into. And, um, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you the map um, that I ended up making. Yeah. So I just put loads of pages together and I just drew an outline of... Um, this is the most artistic thing I've ever done in my life. I have to say, um, well, I suppose it depends what you define as art, but I just started drawing the outline and it was really grounding and painting and that kind of just allowing myself to be there. And over the course of the week, I just, every day, I just spent time building onto the map and writing onto the map, my experience really of the island. And I guess it re resonated with creating the zine as well. So some of that experience from working with the zine of working intuitively and allowing things to evolve and grow as they want to. Um, yeah, so the map just really evolved organically and it became quite a healing process. And somebody said to me, you know, you needed to make that map to locate yourself mm -hmm. on the island. But I think it was about locating myself in the, in the place that I was in my life at that point. You know, deeply, still am, you know, like you say, grief never is always with us, mm -hmm. just deeply grieving and... Um, just connecting with that, with the nature and the landscape. I'm looking at the map now as I speak and reminding myself the goals and the dreams and just remembering who I was. So that the map making was really interesting. Map journaling, I've called it. Mm. It's just a really interesting process. I, I, I want to do it again. And I, um, like you were saying about the maps of, um, you know, the maps of partition mm. and the maps of our, um, you know, the landscapes of home, the landscapes of here, you know, the map of maybe even the room I'm sitting in. Mm. I think maps are a really valuable way of, of kind of, again, it's that visual representation of what's going on mm. in, our, in our mind and getting all those different interconnections. Mm. Yeah. It's also about taking back power or reclaiming. Reclaiming not just our heritage, but our place in the world now. Because if you think map, map makers, they had the power to name things. You know, these people that went there and discovered it and then made the map. It's like, okay, it's like as if it wasn't in existence before they found it there. It does feed into that partition 
having the belief that they have a right to displace millions of people and mm-hmm. then actually not take responsibility for the the violence the disruption and the the death the death of millions of people which was you know it's blood on their hands but not to acknowledge that and how that actually flowed into the land literally and metaphorically and so like now we have you know we have Pakistan we have India and we have those years and of distrust between them and this is where white people have come in and just destroyed black and brown people's lives and it just repeated again and again and again and again and again yeah yeah you've just really made me think about you know just following on from what you're saying about I I never connected making that map to like claiming my space on the land this is my space this is my moment on this space but actually that's what it part of it was you know I am here because you were there (laughs) that classic line yeah yeah, that classic line but it's true yeah, it is true. But yeah, so map making, wow, we need to do more map making, should we? We need to like redo all the maps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do. We do. We? At the moment, we've got the, the coalition for COP26. It's happening, you know, COP26 is happening in Glasgow. And we've got the People's Assembly that's going on. And it's all about, you know, black, brown, indigenous knowledge around nature and connection and how these voices should be part of the conversation when we're thinking about the climate crisis yeah yeah and that that is action there of rewriting or claiming space that hey this has been affecting us for decades and now it's happening on your western shores you you might be paying attention or wanting to do something we've been talking about this for decades now can you listen to us no no actually not can we're, we're demanding that you listen yeah. to us yeah and that is reclaiming reclaiming our space reclaiming our our right to belong on this yeah earth. Yeah. yeah and that I mean, that's the that's the big. But if we come back to the local, the local is okay where we're living. But the local is actually our bodies, ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And that individual reclaiming of our birthright to have that connection with nature. And because I've got that connection with it, that means I've got I've got a voice to actually speak up for nature because, you know, we're speaking up for ourselves in that process. Yes. Beautifully yeah. put, Sharia. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. We can't, we speaking up for nature. Yeah. It is part, absolutely, it is part of us. I think about my ancestry. My mum and dad were both farmers, came from farming community. And for hundreds and hundreds of years, my family have been farmers from rural Punjab with incredible wisdom and knowledge and, you know, about herbs and plants and spaces and astrology and, and all that sort of stuff. So that's there. It is. It's all in the body. We, you know, I've, People talk about ancestral trauma. I've talked about ancestral trauma, but I also talk a lot about ancestral gifts, ancestral knowledge. That's all there inside us. And it does connect, for me, it does translate to the connection with landscape and open spaces here. Because until, you know, my parents migrated here and had me here, mm. my bones, my DNA was <laughs> embedded in, um, in green space. On, on, on in beautiful wide open landscapes not with huge buildings and everything like that so I don't know I, I'm, I'm I think that's what possibly I tap into when I'm out in in big outdoor space that need I mean it goes beyond just oh, I want to go out to the countryside I need to be there yeah I absolutely need to be there because if I'm not I I just you know I just go a bit crazy I know by the time I finish work to my the day job tomorrow afternoon I'm I'm ready to be out there and to kind of like recalibrate my cells with greenery, big wide open spaces. Um, so it but was I know- part of your upbringing. Sorry, was it part of your upbringing as your childhood? This connection with nature. No, not really. So I was um, recently just writing about um, my dad taking me to a place called Red. Red Myers Reservoir, which is on the outskirts of Sheffield. So we grew up right in the middle of the city, um, like a five minute walk from town, big main road, surrounded by big hospitals. Oh my God. Um, you just described my childhood. Yeah. So, <laughs> in Port <so>, Bradford. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. I've lived in Bradford. I love Bradford. Yeah. Um, 
a big hospital generator in the background. Um, so that's where we grew up. But in the back garden, we had a big tree, which was opposite my um, bedroom window, which I always used to think was going to fall down in the wind and, and squash my window um, and me. And then my we had like uh, my dad used to feed the birds chapatis. <laughs> so he was always feeding the birds. Um, and then I just remember little things like um, dad found a little hedgehog in the garden with a yogurt carton stuck on it. And so he called us all out of the house to look at it. Um, but we didn't, we had parks. I was very lucky to have parks nearby. Um, and I don't remember spending lots of time in the parks, but certainly did have that green space. But back to Red Myers Reservoir, when I was tiny, and I, I think my dad probably only took me a handful of times. I used to just want to, I was the youngest of four, and I just wanted to follow my dad everywhere. And he used to take me, we called it the Barney, which means water. And he used to take me to the Barney and he used to lift me up. And I just remember looking out over this like, big reservoir and, and I remember being really struck by it because and I know I used to ask him to take me up to the Barney and that's where I go each year to to remember my dad's passing day the day he flew off to the big sky mm. um, and then when I was about I think I was 10 and 11 there were two school trips which I think were really formative um, one was a youth hostling trip to Langothlan in Wales um, and I haven't got much memory of that except running down a hill and crashing into the school teacher um and then the second trip was to Islam Youth Hostel in Derbyshire um and I I loved birds I loved bird watching I loved being in the countryside I just I loved that immersion and so they they were really special trips and and other than that we had our summer holidays were one day a year um day trip to Cleethorpes um so invariably it rained we spent most of that time, we weren't allowed to go anywhere near the sea. I mean, the sea's really far out at Cleethorpes anyway, but we weren't allowed to go anywhere near the sea because my parents were from, they, they weren't from um, coastal areas. They were very landlocked where they are in the Punjab. So we spent all our time on slot machines. So I suppose <laughs> that, was my, <laughs> that was my childhood exposure to, um, to the outdoors. And when I got into my teenage years, I met somebody who took me out to the countryside a lot um in my car in my brother's car actually I used to borrow my brother's car and keep hold of it for days and now it's a bit of a rascal mm -hmm. um we used to go all over and in totally inappropriate footwear like stiletto heels I remember going through e-day once <laughs> I was probably hung over um so yeah that's and then it just grew I did an outward bound course in my early 20s and loved that that was up in the Lake District and I guess the, the key moment for me was when I was at university, I got involved with a group of black and Asian women. This was in the late nineties. There was a woman, well, she's not was, she still is around, incredible, incredible force of nature, Pammy Jo Hall up in Scotland. And she really pioneered outdoor education for black and Asian people way back, going back to the nineties and still is to the best of my knowledge. And she was, just incredible and she I was part of a, a scheme that she ran and we were going to Scotland and Wales and dragging us up hills making sure we looked smart we weren't allowed to have maps hanging around our neck and that that was that was the point she really made us believe in ourselves and our right to be in the landscape regardless of who was staring regardless of who's looking at a group of black and Asian women walking up Coniston and old man and everybody on the top, just staring like, who is this coming? I mean, you could hear us before. Um, <laughs> and um, that, that experience really kind of really led the way for me for claiming my space yeah. in, in the outdoors. Um, it's not always easy. I mean, I, you know, sometimes I do feel very vis visible Um usually I'm in, in my own bubble and in my own world I don't even notice other humans um but yeah so I've got I, I owe a lot to Pammy Johal shout out to you Pammy wherever you are she's been know. on she's been on the podcast with oh, well, her, and she's still doing her stuff up there in Scotland with Backbone you know what you just described there is like key moments almost like um like 
these jewels or beads that you can thread on that um, piece of string to create that necklace of like, this is my relationship with nature of connection. It so resonates with me of like those key moments that stand out. And I think, you know, because we, we, we did grow up in concrete jungles and, and a lack of space. So I think when we got to that, those have those opportunities where we we did have an expansive view or a bit more space that they did they did stay with us I mean because key key thoughts we went to Great Yarmouth we did that's where we went to (laughs) (laughs) and it was rain it was a lot of rain it was but I so so um relate with that so so thank you what you do you're saying about Pammy passing on that idea of right or claiming your space out there and I I think you're doing that now through words and language and through creativity um when you're marrying writing language with with nature um workshops why are you doing this what what's the point you know like people ask this you know I, I mean I know you do she she howls you know on a Sunday night you get together the she how gatherings but that are true nature ones say as an example they were specifically for black and brown women or women of color why 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 should you have these special places these people ask yeah because we absolutely need our special safe places to explore our voices to explore our true nature within ourselves and our relationship to nature outside particularly it can be hostile when there's a group of black and brown women outside exploring nature with their notebooks, taking notes, taking up space, blocking a path. We're very, very visible. We need to be together to be able to do that. And I think just the kind of stuff that Pammy did with us back in the late 90s and early noughties is is really giving us that that confidence and that self-belief that this this space is for us. We can take up the space with our notebooks, with our writing in nature. Mm -hmm. And by doing it in a group, we're building that confidence to then go out and do it by ourselves. Um, And we will, we will experience microaggressions when we go out and do it by ourselves. But if we know that we belong there, that this is our right, that we're doing something really important and really valuable. And it goes back to what you were saying about a cop um, thing as well. That for me, doing the write the our true nature workshops and working with in being in nature with words it's really deepening our relationship to nature and it's making it really gives us fosters that sense of protection and that custodianship for nature just making us I for me this is my own process it's just made me so much more aware of the changes in the landscape and what's happening um in the environment just that that kind of nurturing and care and responsibility for the creatures and for the plants. And um, we need, you know, we need that for ourselves. So I suppose that's part of one of my kind of missions with the nature writing is to bring our voices along to be that sense of protection because it is in our ancestry. And also I, I think with the Extinction Rebellion who've been doing remarkable work, you know, I don't want to put myself on the front line and risk of be risk of being arrested because I I will quite possibly be treated differently. I have a lot to lose if I'm arrested, um, which is you know I, I applaud the other people, um, white people who may be retired or older, and say, well, I haven't got much to lose. I'm still going to have my pension or whatever. I know it's not exclusively that group, but certainly that's some of the conversations I've had with some older people, part of Extinction Rebellion. So there's many ways to rebel. And there's many ways to activate. Um, and, but, you know, I think the bot at the end of the day, I think just being in nature, I just want people to experience that deepening na- relationship with nature. And when we write about it and we write in it, it's reciprocal. I've just found like, I mean, I don't know if it's because they've seen me with pen or paper, but I just find that curlews and hairs come closer to me. It's that, you know, being in nature, being still, being quiet, observing well, they come and, you know, these creatures, I mean, it might be quite um, human centric me saying this, but I think the creatures then come up, pop out and they're exploring us. And they rec- I think they remember us and uh, recognize us. And that, that healing power and joy. And I want to just share that. I want to just share that with as many people as possible, as many women as possible. It's really important to have those spaces for black and brown women mm-hmm. where we can just 
totally relax and being ourselves and not feel censored at all or feel that we might be treading on on somebody's toes by saying how we feel or something like that it's really important yeah. I know that there is you know some people um groups are not what am I trying to say I'm just thinking of a recent group that's set up in Sheffield for people of colour and walking and there was quite a backlash um from other other groups perceiving being feeling that they were being perceived as not being inclusive and it's not about that it's not about that at all yeah. yeah it's not about we're not saying that you're not inclusive it's just that we need our special places safe spaces together but then also I feel when I'm by myself solitude and you're saying about these creatures coming out when you're sitting still and just observing it happened to me with 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 a heron when I was up on the Isle of Arran and I saw it as you know as a gift but also it was I felt I'm saying it's a he I wasn't sure if it's a he but um he was teaching me about stillness mm. and about patience yeah and that was that was wisdom that I I got from the, the visual of him and I, I could be you know humanizing him putting stuff on him but that was the feeling I got from being in in company or communion with him yeah so I totally I totally totally get that and 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 that he's, he's probably going to appear in my essay that I'm creating for the intrinsic anthology um which was like from creative countryside Eleanor Cheatham shout out there like but what was so good about that when she released the list about 12 original writers that are producing stuff for this anthology was that there was black and brown women on there <laughs> Jackie Holder's on there and she's been on the on the podcast so what I want to ask you and this is probably the final thing because this is like going into the future you know this episode is part of I must say part of the future landscapes program from Northumberland National Park and we're in there to diversify the voices that are talking about the changing landscapes and the future of the landscapes and how we're contributing is not just through our voices but through our creativity and our writing so well, first thing is like what's your essay about for intrinsic are you going to tell and secondly you got uh, developing your creative practice grant award from Arts Council England. Yay! Congratulations! And I'm thinking it might be a memoir that you're creating. So that would be nice to hear. No, you don't have to give away secrets, but like I'm thinking this is your future endeavors. I've had to take notes of what you said. <laughs> off on tips, man. I go off on tips. I'm sorry, but it's like no. I get so excited. You know? Oh, no I love it I love it just keep on being really excited I just want to say you just made me realize I was born on Northumberland Road and I lived there till I was 15 so that's my connection to Northumberland Yay. yeah <laughs> connection I thought I'd throw that in and um, so my essay on intrinsic uh, for the intrinsic anthology great to be alongside you Sherry for that um <laughs> is um what is my essay <laughs> have you been writing it hun because you know the deadline's uh, coming up I know the deadline's coming up I have started writing oh it's on um I've remembered now um <laughs> it is about Bardsey and um about my map journal and kind of like my mashup style of writing so it's about right right healing right therapeutic writing nature Bardsey putting a, a dollop of grief in there as well yeah it's not quite shaped yes um, I'm with yeah. you on that Mine's, yeah. yeah we're doing this with our hands as if people yeah. can see us while we're talking but it's like it's a nebulous mm, mash of things at the moment exactly a constellation yeah, yeah it's like the milky way it's a big smudge with some sparkles in um dazzle yeah. dazzle <laughs> I don't write in I don't know about you but when I write I don't really write in a I don't have a structured plan that yeah. I just kind of start no. um, which a lot of writers say is is you know you need a structure you need a plan anyway um so that's the intrinsic yeah um chapter and I'm really excited about writing that and really excited to be writing about 
bards say about bards experience and um, there's so many magical things there the developing your creative practice oh my god I'm, I'm just so thrilled that i'm i'm getting funded for mentoring and um time to write and yes it is it's um it's um a memoir about um about my mom and about my relationship with my mom and it's kind of a bit like a living process because i'm 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 doing a lot of thinking and writing and i'm working with a mentor um who's from a therapeutic back, therapeutic writing background and also a therapist works from black um, feminist perspectives so I'm just really rethinking stuff around my mom's relationship and it's really um it's for me it's been a mind-blowing process but also my mom was a force of nature herself and um, I had a difficult relationship with her and um but there was a huge amount of love and hugely similar as I'm finding out more and more as I write about her um so it will be yes I, I again I'm just writing around the edges. I'll start the, the deeper writing and deeper research and um, in mid-November. And we'll see where that where that goes. There'll be some poetry in there, essay that will cover migration and race and grief. You know, losing a mom is very different to losing a dad. And losing a dad is 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 it was you know a massive thing and it a huge thing. I always thought I'd write about my dad. Then my mum went. Maybe it was grief and a grief reaction. I, I wrote two pieces of writing um, that went on to get shortlisted for a couple of prizes, and people really resonated with, with what I was writing about my mom, and her story, and also you know and the and nature, in relation to that. So, yeah. So that's that's what's happening. I'll be working almost exclusively on that for the next six to nine months. I'm trying to say no to things um you have to you have yeah. to protect your time and protect yeah. your headspace but also protect your energy because yeah. what you're doing is really 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 important work not yeah. you know it is really important for yourself but it's also if when if no when this work is shared with others it it, it will have a really profound effect on them you know yeah. so you know you're doing you're doing the work and you're doing the hard work and yeah you should protect your time. So I really, I'm really pleased that we, we got in this before you go dive, diving, diving into the words and the wildness of it in mid-November and beyond. So thank you so much for your for your time and your energy and contribution because it's like it's been rich, man. It's been rich. But you know what you were saying about again, you know, here I am going off again, but that memoir that we're saying it's a memoir, but it's so, it's mixed with all these different genres, angles and, and themes. And I just want to know, cause mine, mine is mixed. It is mixed. And, and I just want to know if it's because we we're searching for that way or language or means to express such a diverse mixedness, the, the usual linear genre, stay in your lane, writing just, doesn't cover it and I think this comes out with for you also because you you create words you create language don't you I like yeah I like to play around with language a lot and to and do different things with language and punctuation and grammar I mean so often it might mean that nobody knows what I'm on about <laughs> but you know I don't care because I think and I and I really encourage this in in with all the women who work with me just yeah, I do. I really like to play with language, play with words, shift it around because language is evolving. It's not static. We can do whatever we want to do with it. It's elastic. And that language might be, you know, it, it's, it, it is hybrid language because we're bringing in our own stuff right, and bringing some of my own um, putting little, you know, the little bit of Punjabi that I've got, bringing in a bit of that, mashing it all up. And um, image is part of that. Poetry is part of that, just mixing it all together. And but I think when we can create that multi multi-layered story and putting a bit of a visual element as well perhaps um accessing more readers in that sort of way but also it's kind of you're bypassing that rational cognitive mind you go straight to the soul you know people seeing an image it's like poetry does that as well doesn't it you'll know a lot more about that than I will but I, th I think we brown black women are really pushing 
form, really pushing language, really stretching the possibilities for how stories are told. They don't have to be in that linear narrative arc. They can be a constellation or a tree or, you know, taking our shape and inspiration from something else. Mm. Totally. Because yeah. we're not linear beings, are we? No, no, time is a construct. It's yeah. I was just to say it's a construct, man. It's a construct. Yeah, and it is. It's finding finding those ways to work outside of the rules because you know they weren't they weren't ever set up in our favor anyhow. So you know, stuff them, stuff them. I think, I think the story has to come first. Mm. The story has the story has to you know that it has to take its own shape. Mm. Um. And then, you know, if you if it needs tweaking, whatever. But I do think there's, you know, publishers and and others are more open to, to things that are, are different shapes um, and different voices. And, you know, if they want to get more representation um, and more authors from diverse backgrounds and they have to expand their notions of what diverse storytelling looks like. Yeah. Now it can be. Yeah, totally, totally agree. And on that note, I yeah. say thank you so much, Dal, for your time and contribution. It's been lovely speaking with you. This conversation is like, you know, it goes out to listeners, but I just felt like we were just talking with ourselves, really. <laughs> and those are the best conversations, I think, because I do think you came, you were yourself and you, Sean. So thank you. Thank you, Kai. Thank you very much, Cherie, for having me and for this beautiful work that you're bringing to the world. Thank you. You too, hun, you too.